Welcome all you fellow Arcanists out there to the Frisk Guild podcast, where we explore an amazing world full of mystical creatures and their partners. Our hosts are Eric Smith and Scott Wareham, and they'll be your guides along this journey through pirate-infested waters. So grab your Eldrin, strap on your swords, and get ready to defend the seas from evil. Throughout this series, if you have not caught up to the books being discussed today, we urge you to hit the pause button, grab your copy of this wonderful book, and catch up. We'll be here when you get back. After Master Zelfri tries to nobly sacrifice his life in order to save his apprentices from the dread pirate Callisto, the apprentices ignore his sacrifice and rescue him in a maneuver best compared to suicidal lemmings. The remaining plan is simple. Find the occult compass and sneak away before Callisto knows they have it. But when has a plan ever gone off without a hitch? But before we get into the book, let's look at two more pieces of advice from the series. Step 25 on the Pillar of Bruba says tenacity. Without it, we trick ourselves into giving in. And Step 111 says mercy. Without it, we cannot help others find redemption. With that, let's join Eric and Scott for the final five chapters of Dread Pirate Arcanist. Welcome back to the Frith Guild Podcast. My name is Eric. Hi, and I'm Scott. And today we'll be covering chapters 31 through 35, which is actually the final chapters of Dread Pirate Arcanist. And before we get into today's episode, I just want to thank everybody. Remind them to like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff for our channel on YouTube. Or if you're on podcast, leave us a review. It does really help us out quite a lot. So we would really appreciate if you guys would take time to do that for us. And without further ado, we're going to get into chapters 31. In chapter 31, the plague-ridden gargoyle, Raisin and Felicity are dredging the sunken ship. And I just have to say that way to go for Raisin for being such a baller swimmer. I would never have thought hydras were such good swimmers, but apparently they are. Raisin and Felicity were able to dredge up 102 compasses, 13 spy glasses, and 25 bells. Now, of those 102 compasses, they are only only 25 of them are magical. Of the 13 spyglasses, only two are magical. And of the 25 bells, only 10 are magical. But again, we really only care about the, the compasses and not so much the spyglasses or the bells, but still, I imagine there's some pretty cool trinkets in there, and especially with what this ship is supposed to be carrying as far as the occult compass. Hexa is getting into an argument with Adelidus over calling this treasure junk. Zaxus was like, you know what? Is this could this be the, like the super special refraction spy class of the two magical ones? And they'll just like, yeah, probably. And he just kind of like pockets it. You know what? I'm gonna take this. The, the plus side for this refraction spy class is it's actually supposed to let people see through invisibility. And if I were Volk, I would have really pushed Zaxus to hand that over as much as he's fighting. An invisible Wendigo and an invisible Arcanist, he would really, really benefit from seeing through invisibility. Right, especially because this isn't the first or second or third time now that been snuck up on. So Volk actually starts to argue about the ethics of claiming this treasure. And it's just a funny little banter between them and the fact that Volk is like, hey, this isn't right to to take this spy class. Adele just kind of like he tries to stay in the middle and then he starts to lean towards Zaxxus because he's like well everybody that could possibly own this fire glass is dead so I mean it, it's kind of his there was really no one else to to give it to Adele just keeps coming back while well, he died his family died everyone died it's a sad story we should take the magic 
nobody's around that could possibly benefit or claim this, so it is what it is. Just just take it. So Volk has to actually kind of go through and sort through the compasses because he's really the only one that knows what this compass is supposed to look like. And I, I really hope he's right. He says that he doesn't really remember based on the pages in the journal. So he is almost second guessing himself. And it seems like a pretty big risk to leave up to chance. They don't have a way to determine if it's the right one or not, but he's going by gut feel alone on this one. And who'd have thought that, hey, let's send the Phoenixes back to the guild to let them know what's going on. Who'd have thought that would have been the undoing, quote unquote, of this this whole situation with trying to figure out which compass is it? That was the one time that had a, a good idea to, to try and follow <laughs> orders. Let's get the guild involved. And of course, it backfires on them. <laughs> right. Now that we found all these compasses and all these other uh, trinkets as well. They still actually have to like sail back to the guild on their own. And Addy, Ilya, Volk, and Zaxus, they all know their way around a boat. They grew up on an island. They know how to handle boats. So they're good. However, Pedelgis and Hexa are almost an actual hindrance more than they are a help. Because, again, they, they don't know what they're doing on the ship. They, they don't know which line to properly untie. Hexa is really, like, enthusiastic and good for her for wanting me to help out, but I feel like there's that, like, there's been moments of, like, Hexa just, just put put it down and just, just stop. <laughs> Please, thank you. <laughs> I, I know your heart's in the right place. Right. But you're hurting. <laughs> so, on the plus side, Gravekeeper William would actually probably be really proud of, of Volk and Ilya for being able to handle this and, and to be able to guide them, kind of. And I think it's not just... It shows throughout this whole book, you know, they reference his knowledge when they're going through the ship of trying to find where Zelfry's hidden. They really, really benefit from all the, the quote-unquote useless knowledge that he shared with them. And again, it's not useless if they use it, so... <laughs> Very true. And I also thought this was funny, this... The the start of this started with them on a cruise ship where they can practice their training and Ben Zelfry has to pay for them to get a boat chartered and now they're doing all the deck work themselves. So they've really come a long way of having their life catered to versus having to actually go through all the, the legwork on their own. Right. I don't want to say like the, the menial task, but you know, if they want to get out of the situation, they gotta get it out of it on their own. Put your back into it. Yep. So a fog bank starts to roll in on the horizon. Of course, Volk actually asked Luther for once. He asked Luther for advice before he's already drowning and trying to figure out what to do next. And Luther's response is just like, "I don't know. You're 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 a brand new arcanist. Like, I, <laughs> I mean, Mathis never had to go through this when he was a brand new arcanist, so." I don't know what you expect from me. I, this is a completely new situation to be in. It almost felt like he was giving that, you know, Mathis was never stupid enough to find himself in this situation. <laughs> so you're going to have to figure it out on your own. I don't have an answer. <laughs> Zaxxus actually had a thought. And, and for Zaxxus to have a thought is actually kind of impressive. Because, again, Zaxxus is the hothead brute force. I'm going to smash my way through it kind of person. That 
with the glasses that he stole from the third abyss and the spyglass. If he uses both of them together, it'll actually let him see through the fog using the cap of magic and the spyglass to, for the invisibility portion and to extended range as well. And it actually works. And I'm actually really impressed, again, with Zaxxus, really impressed with that fact that he he had this thought and it, it worked out well for him. They begin to pass around the, the glasses and the spyglass and they finally get to Volk and they're just trying to figure out why the third abyss is hot on their trails. And Volk sees that the gargoyle that got loose when Ilya dropped all the, can- the cannons through the, the decks, he's carrying the world serpent scale and he stole a bunch of star shards. Third abyss is essentially chasing after him. And I don't know if it just worked out that the gargoyle was happened to be going in the same direction that they are, but this is pretty crappy luck on their part. They they run into finally getting away from Callisto to have him find them purely by coincidence. So they are, again, very scared trying to figure out Zelfri's not back to full health. You know, what what is the plan? if they do have to go up against Callista. And everybody's kind of like looking at Volk. Again, Volk's the, hey, you're the one that's got to figure this out now. Basically, his first thought is, let's pray that this gargoyle doesn't see us and just keep going. And the worst that we have to deal with is Callisto, and maybe we could just hide out of the way from that. Unfortunately, gargoyle sees them and ends up turning back. And so he drops off all of his, uh, the World Servant Scale and Star Shards onto a scary, or scurry, which is a reef or rocky island. And then he comes back for Vulcan company because they didn't release him from imprisonment. Volk goes all hero mode and he distracts the gargoyle and gargoyle traps them all on the scurry as the third abyss arrives. Mostly by crashing into it and just breaking the whole thing. He is the size of an elephant, so he does a, a good deal of damage. And the, as they're getting into this fight, again, the phoenixes are off chasing the guild, so... Zaxxus and Addy are at a supreme disadvantage with their magic not being nearly as strong. So they aren't much help in the fight. So Volk, again, is merging with Luther, And when he does this, he gets some insight into Luther's thoughts and almost realizes that Luther is willing and ready to die for him, which is very powerful and, and means a lot just in terms of how strong their relationship is and how much... You know, Luther is, is willing to sacrifice everything he has if it means that Volk comes out of it okay. So this is where we lead into chapter 32. And Volk actually has the compass on his person while he's basically in the middle of this, this whole fray of the gargoyle and Callisto and his crew and everybody else. So he's he's kind of at a point where he understands that either... Callisto is going to get a broken compass that's not going to be able to do anything for him anymore or Volk is going to hold on to it. So obviously Volk doesn't want to destroy it if he doesn't have to, but he will if he has to before Callisto will get it back. And of course, what's happening while Volk is trying to figure out like where all the battle is going, he starts to feel cold and ice starts to form, Fane and Wraith are coming. We do hear a pirate yell out that the gargoyle and is the priority along with the scale for the pirates. And this is where Volk steals himself to have to fight every pirate arcanist there. And he's going to have to start with Faye and Ray. Luckily, Volk learns his lesson from the last couple times that he's had to fight Faye and Ray. 
and he's able to use his other senses, like his hearing, to be able to uh, anticipate where Wraith is and where Fane is. So Wraith comes up to attack first, and because Volk can hear him, Volk actually gets a really solid hit on Wraith, and cuts pretty deep. Fortunately, Fane is standing right behind Volk and stabs. Volk goes in with his terrors next, which is a good move. And he's able to keep focus with his magic even through the pain. More growth from Volk. It's hurting less. Because Wraith was injured so badly, Wraith ended up dropping his invisibility. Volk goes in and actually strikes Wraith again. It's This is almost a fatal blow to Wraith. Fane loses it. He just goes straight berserker. And I think this is a good example of... Even the pirates have this crazy bond with their Eldrin, where Fane is also willing to sacrifice anything if it means that Wraith is is able to live and escape the situation. So it's that bond is always extremely strong and very close. And you know, there isn't an Arcanist out there that is willing or ready to to lose their Eldrin. Exactly. I mean, and it's not just a oh, I'll lose my magic. I mean. The bond that they have to create while they are bonded, I I honestly couldn't even imagine. Even even for a, a pirate, you know, losing their Eldrin is is more than just losing their magic. It's losing a part of them. Luther kind of remembers where he's seen Fane from and starts to telepathically show Volk all the memories of there and Mathis fighting Fane's brother. So Fane starts to explain that his brother was the only one keeping their village alive. And once his brother died, and so did the rest of the village. I can understand the sympathy of that. And you know, his brother trying, was trying to do the quote-unquote honorable thing, keeping them his family, village alive. I feel like there are other things they could have done other than just straight to pirate. It also feels like... I don't know how many people are in this village, but there has to be somebody else who can help provide something, you know, some other means to try and support. And maybe there's more to the story than we we know, but it almost feels like Fane is probably exaggerating his brother's impact. His brother probably did have an extreme impact on the village, but, you know, Fane is also idealizing his brother and seeing him as as a hero and maybe maybe if they were in that desperate of a position they could have just relocated and and i know that's not an easy task by any means but again if if you're in such a dire position you're relying on one person to provide you supplies maybe where you're at isn't the ideal place to be and maybe you should find somewhere else volk basically has fane on his knees and Volk is able to to hit that finishing blow to Fane, and he actually stops. He doesn't allow it to happen, and he basically forces Fane to surrender. And Luther wants to finish Fane. By all means, Luther is just like, I mean, if we don't take him out, then he's going to try to take us out later on. Volk says is, Fane's completely, you know, for the lack of a better way to say it, his nuts are in a vice. If he goes back to Callisto, Callisto's going to kill him because Fane failed again. Surprise, surprise. What's he going to do? You know, he's not going to, can't go back to Callisto, can't go back to the normal world. There's, there's nothing else he can do. So Volk does the honorable thing, kind of lets him be. And and again, this whole time where Luther and Volk back and forth, 
Volk hits Luther with step number 111, Mercy. Without it, we cannot help others find redemption. Volk actually remembered back to the conversation with Gilly from Fortuna and remembers that she would really like to research a Wendigo as far as the Arcane Plague goes. So Volk tells Fane, hey, go find Gilly from Fortuna. She really wants to study Fane or Wraith and maybe you could be of some help there. And this is a bold, bold move. <laughs> there is nothing stopping Thane from, you know, coming back at a later point and, and killing Volk. So Volk is putting himself out there just to try and, and show Thane any sort of mercy. Well, shoot, Volk just turns around and walks away like a boss, too. Like, <laughs> cue explosion in the background. Right, exactly. <laughs> so Volk starts looking for Addy or basically the rest of the apprentices Zelfri kind of trying to find the, the rest of the fighting he can hear it all around but because the gargoyle pretty much redesigned the whole scary now that you know everything's different you can't find your way around easily he finds Addy and Hexa next Addy is fighting two pirates and Hexa is fighting the Snallygasser so he decides that Hexa is probably the one that's in more trouble so he's going to go help Hexa fight the Snallygasser. The Snallygasser ends up fighting Raisin. Raisin ends up fighting back. Because of Raisin's poison, Raisin wins. Raisin did take some pretty severe damage and some severe injury. The Snallygasser made sure before, before his time was done that he's going to take as many with him as he can. And he ends up pretty much like destroying Raisin's head. Addy took care of her two pirates. So we're pretty much at a lull now in this, this whole conflict. And Hexa goes and asks Volk for his sword. Volk's first like, well, but this isn't my sword. This is Luther's. And Luther is like, no, this isn't. This was Mathis's sword, but it's now yours. I'm just holding on to this until you don't lose it. Really feel the trust there. He's, he's only holding on to it so Volk doesn't lose it. He's <laughs> not taking any chances with it. Right, like you like this this is like the most valuable thing. I need you to not lose it. I'm just gonna keep it, okay? It's for the better for both of us. I'm gonna put it in my fanny pack. I'll take it out later <laughs> if you need it. <laughs> so he hands the sword over to Hexa and Hexa just cuts off Raisin's head. At this point, I'm kind of in shock. Like I, I understand Hydra's they you grow heads, however, that's pretty monumental like thing to watch just out of nowhere. The head's rolling off, the blood drains out. And then it drains back in. So apparently physics with the blood is it, it attracts back to it itself. Like a hydra, it, it grows two heads where the first one was. And it's a good thing Hexa knows how hydras work. Otherwise, Raisin would have been in a, a lot worse situation if she hadn't known to, to cut the head off. And I'm sure that's not the first thing you think to do when, when there's an injury is let's say amputate. Right, like that's that's kind of like the last thing you want to go towards when... That kind of situation is happening. And another cool thing about this is when Raisin grows another head, Hex's mark grows another head as well. So there is a magical bond between her Arcanus mark, which now reflects Hex's new head. And I can only imagine just the entertainment of having two heads. Like you imagine one's just purring and then the other one's hissing at you, you know? So we do see that Addie has gotten a lot stronger with her magic as well. Even with uh, her phoenix not being very close, 
Patty kind of seems like she's almost like excited for this and she's she's getting into fighting me, you know, she's starting to warm up to it. This feels almost like another chance to rebel against her family in a way. They're not the type to support, you know, violence and killing and she's gets a chance to experience it and there's a little bit of a rush from going against what you've been told not to do your whole life. Hurts for her being protected as long as she has and being that prim and proper girl. I imagine her sitting there going, like, can we do this again? Can we do it again? So the, the gargoyle is starting to call out, saying that he wants to hurry up and kill Callisto and to consume all of Callisto's magic and the star shards and the serpent scale. And this is where we lead into chapter 33, The Shield of Darkness. Volk has shown this time and time again already that he is going to always run towards the sound of fire of a firefight. Hexa wants to grab some popcorn and a snack and a drink so that she can sit, sit back and just watch the show as the gargoyle and Callisto fight. The gargoyle is very keen on getting his pound of flesh from the pirates before fighting, but he's kind of getting tired of this and he just wants he wants to get this thing over with, so he wants to fight Callisto. Callisto is adamant about making sure he finds his serpent scale and the star shards i guess are kind of a lesser priority i imagine in this instance they're replaceable as as difficult as star shards are to come by in comparison to the serpent shield they're replaceable so he callisto orders spider to go off and look gale so again volk is going to take off the after spider trying to find that she, the scale first. Volk finds really interesting times to try and practice his magic. I know in the middle of a fight is probably not the best time to practice it more than you have to rely on it, but he's just like, you know what? While I'm, while I'm looking for this, I think I'm just going to practice on my, my shadow stepping. <laughs> you would think living would just be like the most important thing at that point. Let's just... Get out of this alive. Let's not focus on getting my training in and practicing all of my magic and potentially wearing myself out for later on. Yeah, that's kind of one of those places where you want to conserve energy and that way you can keep fighting so you can live. Volk ends up finding a rock dome that the gargoyle made to protect the scale and the star shards. This rock dome is actually really small because when Volk shadow steps into it, it said that he can't even stand up fully. Imagine the roof of this thing is probably sitting around like five feet, if that. He picks up the scale and he's so happy that he found it and he beat Spider to it. And thankfully, he's able to shadow step because the gargoyle didn't really leave any space or any gap except for maybe the width of a thumb. And that's how he was able to get in there. So Volt grabs the scale and steps into the void. But unfortunately, when he gets to the other side of the dome, on the outside of the dome, the scale's still in the inside. And he even looks at Luther like, I know that I can shadow step with things. There's said, well, unfortunately, it's just too big. You can't take that into the void. Quick thinking on Volk's part, because I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have thought of this. Volk's like, I'm just going to imbue it and make it a magical item. And it could have my nightmare abilities, just like my sword, where I can go into the void. And decides that he's going to use up all the star shards that are in there. And he finally made a decision right away. <laughs> he's been indifferent on so many, so many things. But this one, he snapped decision. I'm, I'm going to risk potentially ruining this scale. We don't really know what's going to happen once he imbues it. Just on the hope that I can then shadow step out with it and 
escape with it so Callisto doesn't get it. I will have to say one other thing that he did before he imbues this scale is he makes sure that when he does imbue it, it they're still going to be able to search for the world serpent. And he does this by checking with the sword that Luther and Mathis made. And they can actually track down where the behemoth is and it's in a complete different direction than where Luther is so we know that it works still. So Volk is going to imbue the scale and he does ask Luther like hey I need to know how to do this because I have absolutely zero idea and they kind of contemplate what to make the scale into and then Volk settles on a shield. He starts to picture this as a heater shield. There even says that this is like the best suiting thing for Volk to have made because all nightmares always make a weapon with their arcanist. And instead of a sword or another sword, Luther says that it's a good thing that he wants a shield because Volk wants to protect the innocent and that a shield defends against injustice. Luther uses his memories from Mathis to teach Volk how to imbue. Volk places his hand on the scale and then he releases the magic to flow into the scale. And the entire time he's imagining this heater shield, which best way to describe a heater shield is actually the Frith podcast logo. Um, and then heater shields were actually developed back in the mid 13th century. They were typically made of thin wood overlaid with leather. They were meant to be smaller than a kite shield and they were able to be used on foot or on mount. And then throughout the 14th century, the shield became smaller as plate armor got larger, essentially, but covered more of the body. And by the 15th century, heater shields were really only used for jousting. And at that point, they had a cutout for the lance. So they're really, again, pretty much useless at that point. But they had armor, the actual plate armor to protect them with. Volk ends up succeeding in making a crude shield. Luther is actually really impressed. And then it's like, hey, there's there's really no time for celebrating because we're being attacked by Spider because she's using her acid to erode the rock. So let's get the hell out of here. So they exit from the dome. Luther protects Volk from getting shot at point blank range because they're still merged together. Spider keeps spitting venom. Volk ended up blocking the venom attack with the shield. And it works like the mirror shield from Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. And I'm, whatever other you know, Legend of Zelda game had a mirror shield, it reflects everything back at her. And this is where she realizes that Volk has imbued the scale into the shield. And she immediately recognizes the, the power in it and that he probably ruined it. He's not a very advanced arcanist, so he doubtfully knew how to properly imbue and make an artifact. Right, like he, he has the basics of the idea of what to do but it's kind of like like a first time carpenter you know you have the idea of what to do but i've seen a house before <laughs> it doesn't mean i can build one right and that takes us into chapter 34 which is freedom and as volk makes his way to callisto's ship he realizes that he can see callisto having the exact same tattoo as zelfry kind of not a coincidence that they had the exact same tattoo and then Callisto happens to remove said tattoo from Zelfry. Yeah, there's definitely something going on behind the scenes, but Volk realizes this is not the time to, to worry about that. There's much bigger problems at hand. And as he approaches the fight, Callisto is, is really beating up on the gargoyle. The gargoyle's able to 
get hits in, but they don't really seem to have any effect. And Callisto is just beating down on the gargoyle, and he even gets Hellion to pounce on the gargoyle and almost tear the gargoyle in, into two pieces. This is a very one-sided fight. This goes to show how just ridiculously strong Callisto is because he's fighting this elephant-sized gargoyle that has a second set of jaws coming out of his middle of his chest. And Callisto is just whooping on this guy. <laughs> yeah, the between Hellion and Callisto, it is a... a terrible dynamic duo to try and deal with. As they're fighting, Ilya actually goes and taunts Callisto by getting his attention and then smashing one of the the 25 other compasses that were there just to, to try and piss him off. And Callisto actually at this point tells Hellion to remove his mask and Volk locks eyes with Hellion with the mask off and becomes paralyzed. So this is the first time we actually get to see one, why the mask is on, and and two, why Callisto has to be very tentative about showing the face around the crew, obviously not wanting to paralyze his own crew in the, the middle of a battle. The description of Hellion's face is like pale as the rest of his body. And it like he's like really old man, I believe is the way that it was described. Again, the mask is enough for me. Uh, I, I it creeps me the hell out, and I, I, I don't like it in a good way. Um, but <laughs> his face is almost worse. It's it's very horror movie esque. You do not want him exactly. to remove that mask. <laughs> and while Volk's paralyzed, he almost has an existential moment where he puts everything together, and he realizes that the reason Callisto's mark is glowing is because Hellion is actually a true form manicure. And that's why when Traces mimicked Hellion, Traces didn't look the same because Traces wasn't able to get the true form version. Traces was a regular form version of a manicure. I'm not sure what the proper term for that is. but So Callisto, again, is taunted by Ilya and ends up chasing after her. And when he goes on to the scary... Hellion comes with Mind of the Scary, and Zelfry actually mimics the gargoyle and is able to then morph the rock. So he's actually able to trap Hellion and Callisto. And this was something the gargoyle was trying to do during the fight, but just wasn't able to because Callisto was so focused on dodging the attack. Zelfry's actually able to catch them by surprise to, to get that edge on them. And Ilya tries to kill Callisto again, this time with, with a gun, and it does not work. It just sort of bounces off of him. And Volk realizes here, again, Callisto has magical artifacts that are protecting him, and that the coat must be one of them. And that's why he is able to survive so long, is because the coat is essentially taking damage. Throughout the battle, Zelfry lowers Callisto about waist deep, and he gets Hellion about ankle deep at first. Hellion was actually able to pull one of his hands out of the rock. And again, just to illustrate how massively strong Hellion is. Hellion is just that strong that he pulled a hand out. And it was pretty messed up from it. But nonetheless, he was able to get it out. And then Zelfry captured it back and sunk him even further. But And Zelfry, after watching... Hellion almost ripped himself free and 
Ilya, failing to kill Callisto, ends up convincing the group to just leave Callisto where he is, and you know their priority is escaping. So they realize they aren't really going to be able to kill Callisto. Let's just escape with our lives at this point, and then deal with him later down the road. And Zelfri, they run back to the broken boat, but Zelfri actually switches and mimics Spider's Kappa and is able to then power the boat and also smell the age of all the Arcanus <laughs> to end up steering them and empowering them towards safety. Zelfri will not be challenged again as far as having them listen to him by and returning to the damn guild. And he also... A sly little comment to Ilya hints that, you know, they'll talk more once they get back to the guild, and she is, in fact, back into the Frith Guild. Which brings us to chapter 35, which is a celebration on the Isle of Ruma. They meet back up with the guild, and Volk actually questions Eventide about her glowing mark to try and learn, you know, does she have a true form as well, since that was why Callisto's was growing, and she does confirm that Gentle, which is the Atlas Turtle, is a true form Atlas Turtle. And this actually happened when she became a guild leader. She embodied the protection and you know, overlooking everyone in the group. And that's what really led to her being able to transform. Her hypothesis is that Callisto embodied the pirate morales almost of greed and causing destruction. And that's what aligned with the Manticore and was why he was able to allow Hellion to transform into a true form Manticore. Volk brings up that the Gargoyle also describes himself as a true form, even though he's very far away from Gentle and Hellion. Uh, and Aventine describes this as almost a dread form where the Gargoyle continued to take on magic and was almost at the opposite end of a spectrum, still enhanced by the magic but in a dark way. As the guild is making their way back, they end up stopping back on, on the Isle of Ruma, and there's kind of... Everyone's excited to be back. Zaxxus is by far and away the most excited to see everyone and, you know, show off all the progress he's made. Imagine the fanfare that he got when he got back to Ruma. Just imagine just everybody in town, or the, or the whole isle, I guess, is just losing it because Zaxxus is back and, you know, he's talking up big game about what he's done, how amazing he is in the guild. Zaxxus actually does point out uh, about Zelfry as well that Zelfry is definitely looking better. He cut his hair. He gave up drinking. He he actually looks like a Master Arcanist from the Frith Guild, not just some drunkard that rolled out of bed and threw on clothes. Like He took time to iron his clothes, make himself look presentable. So this is definitely a good turn for Zelfry, and, you know, I'm glad to see it. And while Zaxxus goes off on his fanfare and, and parade, Ellie and Volk go to see William, and they actually get birthday presents, which is really cute. William remembered, and he didn't know when they would be back, but he's been saving them and knows whenever they'll get back, he'll be able to celebrate with them. And he gives Ilya this beautiful eye patch that has a rizzle stitched into it and he says that you know if she still wants to cover up her scars that a lot of you know seafarers do wear eye patches so it would be something she'd be able to use and not bring too much attention to herself 
And he gives Volk a razor from when he was in the Navy. So it's hand-me-down, engraved, you know, very, very well-kept and well-made razor. Uh, I, I love this, that they got a chance to go back to Ruma so soon and to show the progress that they've made as in short time as they have been. It definitely does, and it, it shows how much of a, of a family he views them to be, even though that was not something that he had to take on with them. Later that day, Ilya and Volk sit down and Nicola makes a comment about Ilya needing to talk to Volk and she ends up opening up and almost making an, another pass at Volk and sharing some of the emotions that she's been having. And Volk is, is actually pretty eloquent at this point and is able to essentially say that they don't know what's going to come and that they don't need to give up what they have. And almost almost felt like as a, let's change the subject a little bit, he actually gives her the occult compass uh, for her to hold on to. And that brings us to the end of the Dread Pirate Arcanist. Now, as far as our next section goes, the bestiary, unfortunately, we actually don't see any new Arcanist or new Eldarin in this set of chapters. As far as next week goes, I do want to let everybody know that we have a guest coming on the show his name is Kevin, and he will be will be interviewing him. He's a big fan of the show and the series, so we're definitely looking forward to speaking with him next week. After the week following the interview, we're going to get into Colosseum Arcanist, and that's this is one of my favorite books in the series, and I'm so excited to get into this. So I do want to thank everybody for listening. You can find our podcast on Podbean, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, pretty much anywhere podcast is played. You can also find it on YouTube. If you want to reach out to us, you can get us on the Facebook group. And you can also email us at frithguildpod at gmail.com. And I want to give a another shout out to the Frith Chronicles fandom again for everything that they do as far as the uh, the mystical creatures, the places. I know there's a lot of work going into the map currently to be more interactive. I don't believe that there was a map uh, until a few weeks ago, if that, and depending on when you're listening to this. So again, having, having that map up there is absolutely amazing and huge shout out to those that were able to get that map up there. Thank you so much for joining. Scott, do you have anything else to add? I'm, I'm also very excited for the Coliseum Arcanus. It's one of my favorite books in the series. So I've, I've been looking forward to this for a while. All right. Well, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.